Hello and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lavil. And that's take three and we're going to go with it. Right. Hi everybody. We are back and we are going to be talking about a new adaptation starting this week. We are going to be discussing The Outsider originally airing in between January and March of 2020, a simpler time. But before we get into it, how was your week? Um, my week actually was pretty good. It was very busy. It was very, very busy. It was filled with full days and lots of work, and and so it's it's sort of a blur. A blur. But at least it was busy and it was occupied, and I got things done. What about you? Same. I'm prepping for a weekend away, so mm-hmm. I have to do more than normally. But it was good. I yeah, made, a, made, I made a full delicious roast over the weekend. That's I made true. cupcakes over the weekend. I dyed my hair over the weekend. It's not a busy weekend. You dyed your hair all by yourself. No, you helped. I want screen credit. You can have credit. I you don't have a, a screen. A colorblind man to help you dye your yep. hair. <laughs> so, and apparently everyone tells me it turns out okay, so I, I guess I did a good job. Yes, thank you. I didn't stick my finger in your ears with hair dye, or I didn't. Ew, that would be bad. I, I was really like concerned it. about that. I was worried that the dye would just stay on your face forever. You didn't really get it on my face, so I wasn't really concerned about that. Right. <laughs> um, you want to start talking about this? Yes, there's a lot to start with. Yeah. So this is um. I'm not familiar with the source material. Uh, have you read it? No, I have not read it. This okay. is a continuation of the Mercedes. Uh, trilogy, but it is a standalone book. Uh, it follows a character from the Mr. Mercedes trilogy that is not Bill Hodges. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have not seen her yet in this, uh, okay. but we did discuss it previously. That's one Holly Gibney. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, I have not read it. Uh, we watched this when it originally aired, right. and uh, we're watching it again now. And in the meantime, I still haven't read it because I have the attention span of a sparrow. And I cannot be bothered to read an entire novel. It's too hard. Unless it's a romance novel and I can read it overnight, uh, denying myself of an entire night of sleep. Romance novels are simple. They're like bubblegum for my brain. Nom, 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 nom. Delicious. But it's easy. I know what's going to happen, and mm-hmm. so I just go along for the ride. Uh, which I guess would be the case if I read this, too, because I've now seen it. And I will have seen it two times. Yeah. So, let me read the one-sentence IMDb overview. All right, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing. I just cannot get through my thick head. Investigators are confounded over an unspeakable crime that's been committed. So wow, that, that could be almost literally any piece of uh, crime fiction or... It's the story of Jack the Ripper. It's the story of many things. So we watched the first two episodes. The first one is called Fish in a Barrel, and the mm-hmm. second one is called Roanoke. Both of these episodes are directed by Jason Bateman, who okay. also stars... He appears in both of these episodes. <laughs> and uh, these are the only two that he directed mm-hmm. uh, it's directed by i think like seven people total in 10 episodes and the series was adapted by richard price 
He was a writer on The Wire and the creator of The Night Of, the series on HBO so that we started and never finished. So it's like a procedural. It is. Well, it's also and these a procedural. Is ulti- yeah, a yeah. procedural. Yes. So uh, both of them aired back-to-back on January 12th, 2020, as I said, a simpler time. Mm-hmm. We were in the midst of the longest presidential election that has ever oh, happened. Yes. and. We were starting to hear tell of some sort of virus in China. And, uh, yeah, what a time. What a time it was. Uh, so these, uh, we watched them back to back as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sort of preserving that same experience. The first episode has a lot of information in it. And then the second episode takes all that information and then, like, Rubik's cubes it into a different formation. Right. What you thought it was is not what it is. So, let's start. Like so many Stephen King stories, it is a small idyllic town, and a terrible, terrible thing happens to a child. And this so, time it's Georgia. Ta-da! Yes, we are in Georgia, which I only know because of the GBI uh, emblazoned on one of our characters. Uh, Jackets, mm-hmm. which stands for Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Uh, many states have a, a BI. I don't believe California is one of them. Mm-hmm. But when I saw GBI, I was like, is Georgia the only state that's also the G? I think this is Georgia. <laughs> so there's a strong showing of my civics <laughs> knowledge. Uh, and so we start with a man walking his dog. His dog is sniffing around a van, which has some blood on the outside of it. And then he and his dog come upon the mutilated corpse of a child, which we see, which was a lot. And then... Well, there's a good hook there. I think one of the things that really was intriguing about the opening scenes of the show was that exchange between... um, our main character. Well, let's start Which with is, yeah. Um, we, so then we then we sort of introduced to our mm-hmm. our main character, and that main character is Ralph Anderson, right. played by the fantastic Ben Mendelsohn, doing one of the best American accents I've ever heard from a non-American person. He is an Australian actor, although you almost never hear him speak mm-hmm. with an Australian accent. Uh, this is a far cry from his Marvel role, where he is a alien, and he is sort of the bedrock of this show. Mm-hmm. I would, I would argue, and is in almost every scene, almost every scene. It, he is very much the Not protagonist. Not in the first episode. I think that we're seeing a lot of Jason Bateman. We do see a lot of Jason but Bateman. The second episode sort of transitions to where yes. he becomes the anchor of the show. They kind of has to. Uh, so he's there, and uh, as is, this is name Eunice. I don't want to get his name wrong. The GBI, yes, Eunice Sablo, the GBI lieutenant. Who? So he is oh, Ralph. Uh, is a police officer, Mm -hmm. detective, homicide detective, presumably. And uh, Eunice Sablo, played by Yule Vasquez, is the GBI 
lieutenant working with him on the case, which I believe in Georgia, if it's a murder case, the GBI is automatically involved. I know about the GBI because of true crime podcasts wherein they fuck a lot of stuff up. So, oh, all right. Well, hopefully, hopefully they'll do a better job here. <laughs> but I mean, they in the fictional world, right? Well, they make. They also these are these are typically shows about mistakes that were made. Mm-hmm. So, if it's in Georgia, it's just not showing a favorable light on a lot of the law enforcement in a lot of cases. So. Uh, we also, um, around Ralph is his wife, played by Mayor Winningham, Jeannie, mm-hmm. and they are, what do you, is there a word for, so a widow is someone whose wife has, or whose husband has died, a woman whose husband has died, and a widower is a man whose wife has died, but is there a word for a parent whose child has died? Not that I know of, no. We've just decided it's better not to name it, maybe? I I don't know. (laughs) Uh, They had lost a child, they have lost a child to cancer some years before, but we don't know how many years before Mm -hmm. the events of the show. Uh, They still have a bedroom that is virtually unchanged in their home. Uh, and so, okay, so then back to the thing. So there's a, I think Jason Bateman does a really nice job of directing both of these episodes. Okay. Uh, and so a lot of what we get at the beginning is sort of not Rashomon in that the accounts are different, but Rashomon in the witness accounts. There are a well, bunch of witness accounts. It appears like, or the way that it's arranged, um, there's a lot of, Differing viewpoints, or no, no, that's the problem. They're not different. They're viewpoints. not. They're the all viewpoints the same. That all are sort of cohesive and come to the same yes. conclusion. Many, many people saw Terry Maitland. Yes, Coach Terry Maitland here, mm-hmm. played by Jason Bateman, in a very um, a more schlubby performance than we typically get of him. Yeah. He's lean. That's not what I mean. But he's like his hair's grown out. He's a little shaggy. He's right. a, he's a Slouchy, unkempt. He's an English dad. teacher, right? And a coach, yeah. a little league coach, uh, a dad of two, two little girls, uh, husband of what's her name? I always forget her name. Her name is Glory in this, mm-hmm. and her Julianne Nicholson, who we saw in Storm of the Century, who we have seen in Storm of the Century. So she is. One of our repeat. We'll we'll have some repeat Stephen mm-hmm. King people in this, and uh, she was a she was a child in Storm of the Century, uh, and in this she is a full grown mom and a badass. I actually really I like her character, and I really like that actress a lot. Uh, and yes, we see a woman who saw Terry Maitland in this van helping the young child whose um, chain had broken on his bicycle and he was walking his bicycle home. Mm -hmm. He puts the bike in the back of the van and offers him a ride. And then presumably they go to the park where nefarious shit happens. Real bad stuff. Like we see the remains. The child is decapitated 
And there are bite marks, which is one of the first things that we hear. Mm-hmm. And Ralph says, animal? And Eunice says, no. And there's another little girl who sees Coach Maitland come out of the woods with his mouth and shirt covered in blood. Then there is the bouncer at the strip club, which is... I have such a problem with the name of the strip club. It's called the Peach Crease, which is so deeply upsetting to me. And he recalls Terry Maitland coming in, asking to use the bathroom, changing his clothes, and then calling a cab and leaving the van in the back employee parking lot and asking if he could do that, which is how they... Get Each the time, van. <laughs> we should add that he seems to be conspicuously trying to put himself in people's attention. He is putting people himself in people's attention. He's doing nothing to hide himself. Right. Um, and later, as he get he he goes and there's a cab already there, and she he, and he says, you know, call in the dispatch that you picked me up. Right. So she lets um lets the cops know that. I will say that. There are quite a few of black quite a few black actors in this part because mm-hmm. the the little girl, the woman who sees him take the boy and the cab driver are all black women. Well there's also a sort of a fair amount of diversity in the town. There is. It's Georgia. So right. that makes sense. We don't, I don't know where in Georgia, but it's not Atlanta. But there's also Hispanic and Asian characters. That's true. As the sort of That's true. Um, yeah. Ralph's partner is uh, an Asian woman uh, who is let me see if I can find her name. Here we go. Hetty and Park. Uh, so she's a, she'll be a, an, a Korean-American actress mm-hmm. um, playing his partner by the name of Tamika Collins. And, and she's a badass and uh, is pregnant <laughs> in this episode. And um, so Ralph gets a warrant Saturday morning, he will be serving a search warrant on the home of Terry Maitland and mm-hmm. also arresting Terry Maitland while at the Little League game. There's a, we see the scene of the the Maitland family that morning um, prepping for the game. And uh, we hear, you know, it's brave of them to want to go forward with the game give, in light of what's happened to this right. child. And uh, Terry agrees. And they, uh, and then we at the at the game we see Ralph does not go. Ralph sends his um, his cohorts or co co. What's the word I want? His like he sends his underlings mm-hmm. to go do the arrest, uh, which later he says because he doesn't trust himself not to like straight up murder Terry. Uh, he but he does indicate that. He needs to be arrested loudly in front yes, of everyone. He makes it very public and I'm, and right. cuffed in front of him, which they say that's against protocol. And he's like, cuff him in front. 
Uh, he does not care that it's mm-hmm. he's told and he does not care that it's against protocol. And then once they know they have him in custody, they then execute that second warrant on the home where nobody is. Everybody is at the at the stadium. Uh, immediately, Terry is like, uh, call Howie. So there is an attorney mm-hmm. that they are going to enlist immediately. And on the ride... Terry is sitting behind Ralph saying, I wasn't even here. And then he won't say anything else. But he says, I was out of town on Tuesday. And then he doesn't say anything else. We see Glory speaking to Howard, the attorney, who was on uh, the golf course when when called and answers the phone. I think he says, what does he say? Dewey Cheatham and Howe, attorney at law, which is a, it's a joke, y'all. And... Tells Glory immediately to... From what I know, Georgia Lawyer is not much of one, but yes. Oh, well, he's really good, actually. Well, this character is, but yes. Uh, he's Yeah, he's really good. And he uh, he tells Glory, only let them take what's on the warrant. Don't mm-hmm. let them take anything else. And don't answer any questions. Repeat after me on the advice of my lawyer. I refuse to answer any of your questions. And she says that to him, and then she goes... And Oh, and the other thing is, he says, drop the kids off at a friend's house. They don't need to see any more police today because mm-hmm. they have already seen their father right. carted away. And uh, then he goes to the police station. And um, after speaking, or, or maybe while speaking with Terry and Ralph, it comes to light that they have never interviewed Terry before this day. They have, they have basically ruined his life <laughs> by arresting him for the murder of a child mm-hmm. in front of the entire and town a league coach. during a Little League game. Right. So in front of his livelihood. So it simply seems without, like he's a pederast who's been hanging yes. around to get access to children. And Ralph asks him in the car right, right after... Terry says, I wasn't even here on Tuesday, which is when the the murder happened. Um, He says, I have one question for you. Did you ever touch Derek? And Jason Bateman refuses to answer that question, which is smart. He'll answer it later in a very good scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because uh, he coached Ralph's kid. When Ralph's kid was alive. Mm -hmm. So it couldn't have been that long ago. Terry's not that old. Like, Jason Bateman's, I think, my age. So, um, and Howie is, then we see sort of another sort of procedural round where Howie, the attorney, and his, I think he's also got an investigator. Right. And the GBI and the police investigator are trying to now track down his alibi, basically, kind of together at the same time. And uh, we see, or Terry says, I was at a conference. We drove up on Tuesday morning. We got in around lunch. We went to um, some sessions in the afternoon. We had dinner that night. We stayed overnight, 7 a.m. the next morning. We were up at at morning sessions, and then we came back on Wednesday afternoon. And he's like, there were tons of witnesses. I went with a group of colleagues, 
ask them, look at the, here's the hotel I was at, here's where the conference was, all this information. So we see his PI scrubbing the uh, hotel information, and there's no clean shots of Terry during this time. There's stuff that could be him, but it's me. But then the hotel security guy very helpfully says, well, there was a local TV crew here or something doing, you know, filming. So check with them and they go to them and find Terry Maitland standing up and asking a question. You can see the full front of him. He's asking a question. There's a timestamp, and it's happening almost at the exact yeah, same time. He's answering questions about book banning. Yeah. And so it's, and he does a full face. Um, you can hear his voice. Right. It's yes. There's no doubt that this is Jason Bateman, at the very least, right. asking this question, and it is at the same time as this child is being killed. 60 or 70 miles away, they keep debating yes. that point. Right. But um, So there's yeah. no way. Uh and the DA realizes, like, the DA believes 100% that Terry Maitland mm-hmm. is guilty. because. And the other thing is we see Terry going from the cab. We see him on camera wearing a big <laughs> belt buckle and clean clothes mm-hmm. at a bus station. He leans up against the wall of the bus station after looking up at a security camera and flips off the camera. Like, whoever is on that version of Terry on this uh, security camera is trying to be seen and is provoking the police. Uh, So... um, We are not sure what the deal with that is, but there's enough sort of reasonable doubt that it doesn't seem like he's going to be charged at this time. But as the attorney says, you are on the justice train and it is stupid and it moves in one direction. Mm. So you can't just go home. You are going to be arraigned tomorrow. Uh, At that point, they will likely not move forward with charges and you will be free to go. Uh, And that night at the jail, um, he is threatened because as soon as people see him, they're like, and we see him have to do the squat and cough thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's very dehumanizing, which on the one hand, if you're an actual child killer and eater, then maybe dehumanizing is fine. Unfortunately, it seems like most of the people that we put through these (sighs) tribulations are neither of those things. I know two people who got put through the system and had that experience. One of them was put through it because of a parking violation, and the other one was put through because she walked out of a bar and was arrested for public drunkenness. Oh, well, that's just a quota meeting. I believe you 100%. I bet it was the end of the month, or whenever the the quota time is, because there's quotas on cops, which makes zero sense. Right. Um, So... It's looking good for Terry being able to get out, although he also understands, like, well, his life is fucking over, basically, Mm -hmm. because he's a teacher. And that kind of scrutiny, Mm -hmm. even if it's baseless, destroys 
your any any possibility that in, at least in this town you get a job at a school, you keep a job at a school, you're not a really right. coach anymore. Your kid like it's time to move. They're going to have to move, right? Um and you know, Ralph is just beside himself and and his wife just says forget the video footage on either side mm-hmm. that's the other thing is there how he wants because there's blood evidence there's his blood's in the van his blood's on the boy mm-hmm. like his fingerprints are all Everywhere. over these places he wants forensic evidence that's that strong in the other direction and um they I don't remember who gets there first, but he says, he tells his uh, attorney, mm-hmm. Terry tells his okay. attorney, there might be one thing. And I was like, did he sleep with a hooker? No, he didn't. He went to a bookstore and looked at an expensive book. And somebody goes to the bookstore and buys the book to get the prints. And the other side watches sort of sees them coming out of the thing and was like, that's not a, there doesn't happen to be a coffee table photo book in there or whatever. Well, it that was Ralph. There. Ralph bought the book. Ralph and, bought the right. book. Okay. And then the, and their investigator and gets it. The and just, he doesn't even pass them. They turn and mm. walk out together because that's what he was there for. Right. And, uh, oh, because yeah, Ralph just asked, do you recognize this guy? And she, mm. and the, and the woman who runs the place is like, oh yeah, you know why those books are there? Because they're too expensive, nobody buys them. But this dude came in and looked at it and looked right. like he was going to... He didn't buy it, but he looked like he was going to buy it. And that's what Ralph buys. And then, yeah, the investigator... And the, and the investigator's like, do the tests. If you find his prints on it, that's be- that's great right. for it's me. the best thing for us. And then I was like, oh no, is this going to be a Brady violation? But Ralph is not going to play dirty. He's not dishonest. And, not. and I don't think the DA is either. Him, the, the DA is overly concerned with making his name because he's trying to run for he office. Wants to, he wants to run for re-election because right. the, the DA is an elected position, which we don't need to go into the merits of whether that's a good idea or not. But in this case, it is. Um, and he's up for re-election the following year. Um, so he's making political calculations mm-hmm. and as, as, as well as you know, legal calculations, which, like I said, not necessarily a good thing no. for that particular position, but, and Ralph just doesn't, he doesn't even know what his gut tells him about whether Terry did this or not. Now, that's basically where this episode ends. Mm-hmm. There's a, just a big question mark. There's all this evidence clearly linking this man to the crime, and also equally strong evidence clearly vindicating this man of this right. crime. And when you got to the end of the first episode, what did you think? Well, the thing is, I wasn't really familiar with the work at all. Right. I didn't know there was going to be... No. We don't. We, right. You, so, yeah. I really just thought this was going to be a very twisty crime story. My brain went in the direction of looking for twins and long-lost right. family members and right. all sorts of stuff. And we do um, see, that's the other thing is... Um, Terry Maitland's youngest daughter is a sleepwalker or mm. a sleep talker. She keeps waking up in the middle of the night and Glory keeps having to put her to bed. Right. And she's seeing a hooded man 
who's talking about her dad. Right, exactly. And we see a glimpse of a hooded man. We do, who who later's face seems to be melting. It, you right. never see it clearly. He's hooded, he's hooded and, and, and sort of shrouded the whole time. But he seems to have a drop, like a droop on half mm-hmm. of his face. Um, but when you get... And I actually think that the... I think Jason Bateman knows what Jason Bateman's um, sort of persona is. Right. And I think he leans into that with this because he really does seem like both a dude who would just be a good little league coach or yeah. also someone who could definitely be a child murderer. <laughs> like, he has a bit of a sleazy, creepy edge to him he has, if he wants his it. his persona since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we were I discussing mean, it. We watched it. There was uh, Silver Spoons, yeah. where he was the Eddie Haskell character. Right, which I and don't even recall. He had his own TV show where he played a child scam artist. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and That's I just, funny. I did yeah, not know that. He did, that was directly after Silver Spoons. They sort of, you know... So he might have been, like, genius that. casting for this right. particular thing, especially coming in and not knowing the source material, right. not knowing whether this was There's a person a who was guilty or not. It's like his face could be read as... He's got a smirkingness to him right. that he could just be a pathological liar who is definitely right. fucking you over and, and is a psychopath. As I said, he's been playing that part since mm-hmm. he was 11. Mm-hmm. So it, it, this was a really good casting choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think at the end, though? Did, were you like, I was he's guilty? Were I you like, he's innocent? Was. What I, did your gut say? I kept feeling that he couldn't be in two places at once, and I still was thinking this was not going to be... Um, the kind of drama that it winds up being. Mm, well, no. Yes, yeah, so I did not see that coming. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, something happened in the second episode I absolutely did not see coming. Right. Um, and we don't. I don't want to spoil later episodes as right. to what ends up happening. Yeah. We want to talk about the episodes as they come. But, um, but yeah, I was completely baffled. I had no idea what no was idea going on. I understand why you put those two episodes back to back, because it ends on this really weird, intriguing note. Well, he's, he's obviously... There, the there's conf- the, conference, yeah. and then he's blatantly trying to get bring attention to himself everywhere that he appears. Everywhere that he, he appears, seems a, to appear as only as people a who recognize him as a criminal, yeah. as a person who definitely mm-hmm. did this crime, <laughs> and right. is like r- reveling in you know flipping you off, flipping right. off the camera, and 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 doing this like. Getting his face well, it's full. it's a childishly mean streak, too. Yes. And yeah. the the evidence of the crime is really horrible. The child was not just sort of beheaded and and eaten, but also violated sexually. So it's just, it's it's a really horrible crime. Do they say that? I don't with recall branch, them saying that. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He was um, sodomized with the branch. That's right. So there was this, this thing where it's like, it wasn't even, it, it was just the worst and most horrible kind of thing. So again, you're looking at it trying to balance, is this person capable of that? But there seems to be every evidence he wasn't even there. Yes. And the wife or some, wouldn't they have some indication? So it does a really good job of setting you up. I mean, there's enough, there's enough wives that Mm. had no idea that their husbands were serial killers. They seem to be actually really well connected. They do. And his relationship with his daughters, as far as you can tell, also seems to be an actual genuine relationship. Yeah. Whereas anybody who's flipping off police and, and walking around with blood stained all over him is obviously some sort of psychopath who doesn't care if he's captured. Who doesn't care if he's captured, right. yeah. 
Um, okay, so let's get into the second episode, which is called Roanoke, mm-hmm. which is never a good sign. Y'all, no, that's never a good sign. Uh, it means that some weird shit is about to happen, like, almost always. And Why well, call it Roanoke if it wasn't? You'd okay. call it something else, right? Uh, and Ralph goes to the jail and talks mm. to Terry, which is a no-no. And both of them acknowledge that this right. shouldn't be happening. Um, and it's because Ralph cannot... He makes up, he he does the thing that police are supposed to do, which is listen to the evidence right. to get to an answer, not get to an answer and then only pay attention to the evidence that yeah. points in that direction, which is, I think, a very human thing to do, but it's not what police officers well, should do. He's, he's a very um, rationalist kind of thinker, yes. which is really good at a detective, I imagine. Yes, yes. But, I, I, I will say, it's not a spoiler. Uh, the character of Ralph Anderson and the way that he approaches mysteries mm-hmm. in this series, I appreciate very much. I like the way that it's written. Right. I like the way that it's played. And I'm like, this is what a good cop... Well, this he, is a he's good He's written cop. as a detective. Yes. Cause and effect, cause and yes. effect, cause and effect. And what he's running into is something that makes utterly no sense. Yeah. And what's good about this performance is in this particular scene with Jason Bateman... He doesn't come to him as a person who's coming after him. He comes to him as a person who I have this and I yes. have that. And they're these they're are sitting. They sit down, and he's just like, "I believe you, and also I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. I believe what I'm seeing, but what I'm seeing can't right. It be. makes no sense. And a, a big sticking point is the van. The van is a van with New York plates. Mm-hmm. That has Terry Maitland's prints all over it and Frankie Peterson's blood all over it. And, you know, they bat, he's talking about how he backtracked all of the, their travel for the last six months. And the only thing that they, um, the only place they'd gone was a family vacation in Dayton, Ohio. And they flew both ways. <laughs> And I'm like, woof, Dayton, Ohio is a weird place for a family vacation. But we'll get to why. We'll get to why. We'll get to why. So, and Terry's like, I can't help you because I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. I went to a teacher's conference. I did not kill this child. And then as as they're sort of wrapping up, Terry says, you know, you asked me if I ever touched your son or if I ever touched Derek. Mm. I think he said your son. And Ralph had stood to leave and he said, you want to be very careful about what you say next. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably true. And Terry tells a story about how small Derek was and how, but, and how he would constantly swing the bat and never hit, but was never afraid and Mm -hmm. was never going to give up. And so Terry taught him how to bunt, which is a thing that some kids won't do because you could get your fingers real fucked up. Right. <laughs> like you could break your hand doing that. But he never shied away. And he always, like he got on base regular. Like he was a, he was the best bunter he'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and I taught your son that. So when you asked if I ever touched your kid, I sure hope so. And then mm-hmm. he walks out and it's just like, oh. <gasps> 
That was a really, really good scene. Well it was yeah. a really well written. It was really well acted by both of these men. Uh, and they move sort of outward and we start seeing we we really see the dis- the rest of the disintegration of the Peterson family. Right. So Frankie Peterson is the child that is murdered. Mm-hmm. We see his mother at a table, she breaks down, grabs a bat, and starts destroying. And then we see her sort of fall to the ground crying. Mm. And then we cut to a hospital hallway where a doctor comes out to Mr. Peterson and clearly breaks the news that his wife is dead. But we don't know exactly, we don't know if... Right. The grief killed her. If she had a heart attack, she killed herself. We don't know. Um, so the, the Peterson family is now down to the father and the teenage son. Uh, we, we see them having to buy more than one casket, yeah. which is how we kind of know what has happened in the... In the hospital scene, because it's it's done it's si- almost silently, yes, and of, it's very ambiguous. I yeah, re- I remember turning to you at the time. We were both looking at each other, like, "What? What just happened?" I was like, "Well, sh- I believe." Well, and then they said, "You know, mm-hmm. since you're buying two, I'm I'm willing to offer yeah. you a twenty percent discount, which is like and the woof. gross upsale of the coffins. Uh, yeah, the upsells of the coffins. Yeah, something. yeah, and then." We see Terry getting ready to go to court, and Mm -hmm. there are people out there. There's tons of media Mm -hmm. out, and there are people cheering both for and against him. Yeah. And he is walking with Ralph and a a large um, entourage of police around him, and his wife is with him. And they are walking up to the courtroom when someone breaks through the barrier, comes up, and begins firing into the group. Um killing two police officers, mm-hmm. injuring Tamika, the one that we spoke about previously, and killing uh, Jason Bateman, shooting him in the neck. Yeah, it doesn't appear to actually... It sort of it grazes his, him. his jugular. Yes. And so there's no real end to... No, so he, he falls to the ground. Uh-huh. Um, Ralph gets down, fires two shots, and uh, shoots the assailant in the forehead. Mm-hmm. Goes to... Um, investigate that person who appears to be dead, pulls back the beanie that he is wearing and sees that this is the teenage son, Mm. the older brother of Frankie Peterson, uh, son of now-dead Ma Peterson, Mm -hmm. and now he is deceased. So this family is down to just the father, who we then see crafting a noose out of bed sheets and hanging himself. And the way that that is done is actually quite beautiful as well. We see him putting it all together. We see him standing up and then we cut to the outside of the house and it's almost silent. We see a jogger come through Mm -hmm. and then we just hear the window breaking as his body is forced. He kicks through the window. Um, And later um, at the hospital when we see that Tamika is all right and has given birth and well 
having her leg in a cast because she was shot in the in the incident. Um, Eunice says uh, is standing outside of somebody else's room, and Ralph says, "Somebody you know," and he goes, "You know him too. It's Mr. Peterson." Uh, the noose uh, cut off his the oxygen to his brain for 10 minutes. Um, and uh, they've come to ask me about harvesting his organs twice in the last 10 minutes because mm. they can't find anybody else. So right. that whole family is decimated. Right. Um, and no, we've meanwhile... We've a character, too, that we should bring up. Let me let me. Meanwhile, okay. Jason Bateman dying on the on the ground. Okay. So he is bleeding out. They are trying to stop the bleeding, but he looks at Ralph and he says, "I didn't do it. I didn't kill that kid. I didn't do it." And those are his final words because that'll be important later. Now, who do we want to introduce? A uh, detective Hoskins, who uh, got introduced earlier and. Um is actually in the room. That's right, yes. Uh, yeah, he's who we open with, right? right? Jack Hoskins. We open with him boar hunting. Right. But he gets called back because Tamika's been shot. <laughs> and apparently the entire homicide division of this police force is Tamika and Jack and Ralph. Well, which is Ralph those three. Also, and Ralph um, is on leave now. on leave because he killed somebody. Yes. But... Um, but yeah, this he's not somebody that you want around. No, he's clearly a person who uses excessive force. Mm-hmm. Like his name is Jack Excessive Force Hoskins. You right. know what I mean? Like he looks I mean, like we a see bulldog. It, we see where he picks a fight with somebody else at the at a uh, at what looks like the peach crease, but is. I, it is the peach crease. Okay. And then Ugh. he not, starts by throwing a drink at the guy, and then just. And then just takes sucker it. Sucker punching him. Yeah, sucker uh, punches it, it, him. It was really yeah. weird. It's like there's no excuse for what he did. No. He's he's mad because he got called back uh, yeah. early from his vacation. First of all, he's he starts this fight by saying, you know how many va- days of vacation I get? Mm-hmm. Ten. I'm like, there's no fucking way right. that the police union allows a man who's been in service as long as you clearly have to only get 10 days of vacation. Unless, unless, unless you've got a lot of disciplinary actions on your records that have set you back to the beginning over and over again. Because I'm just like, no no police unit in the world. That that whole fight scene is really instructive as to his character. Yes. Because what we see is, not only does he provoke the fight. Yeah. And then once he provokes the fight... He does it he, out of this whiny sense of entitlement. He clearly, that, like, sucker punches the guy who has no ability. He doesn't even know that he's in the fight yet. He's No. And then he pulls on the guy's underwear. Yeah. Like he's a high school bully. Yeah. Yeah, and he gives him an atomic wedgie, which right. I didn't even realize was still a thing. Uh, and then immediately he's clothed and protected by other people who are at the bar. Yes. And they're they're just to, like, right. time to go home. And I'm like... Time to go home. Time to get, you know, brought oh, up on ch- assault right. charges. What and are you so talking about? We, kind of we don't know that he's character. a cop until the next time right. we see him. When Ralph goes in, because he's still, he's uh, working, he's getting evidence, he's looking at evidence and things, even though he's on administrative leave. And his whole vacation consists of shooting, words, shooting animals, which also gives us another very interesting moment, because we do see... During the shooting at the uh, courthouse, yes, outside the courthouse, yes, we see a character in a hood briefly. We do, and I think the 
uh, the young man, the brother who comes to shoot him, mm-hmm. originally is wearing something that obscures it. So you're wondering if that's the same guy that we've right, seen. Right, but then we see him later, right. and we and see him outside Ralph the Peterson's house. Out, and you yes. discover it isn't the guy. Yeah. Um, we. It's also when we see Hoskins, right? Yeah. Once he's missed his boar, we cut back to see the boar mutilated exactly the same way the little boy was. It was, yeah. And so it gives us the impression that something much stranger than what we thought was going on is going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see what else. So, yeah. So, second episode of the show. Mm-hmm. Jason Bateman, a star, mm-hmm. and who we thought was the main antagonist, is killed. Or protagonist. That's Or the protagonist. We don't know what he is. Ralph is the, I think. Well, but I mean, Ralph didn't, they share a lot of the screen time. They do. They run about equal. Um, I think in that first episode, so it's like uh, the beginning of Psycho. Yeah. We're not clear where your focus is supposed yeah. to be. And it's then very much like that, oh, yeah. okay. Or even like Scream, where you're right. like, Drew Barrymore. Oh, no, I guess not. <laughs> so, then, so then Ralph is try like he's fixated on the van. He's mm-hmm. fixated on this van. And he finds out that the kid that boosted the van in New York is now at a foster place, some juvie place mm-hmm. in Tennessee. And... Eunice says, I will drive you there to talk to him if you do me a favor. And then cut to Ralph talking to a shrink because it's mandated, first of all. And second of all, he shot a kid. He needs to talk to a shrink. He doesn't want to talk to a shrink and he gets a little... He wants to try to focus on only shooting this kid and not on the fact that his his son's death is going to come into everything that happens or everything uh, or any kind of therapy session. But he doesn't lie about his... Symptoms like he's clearly no. having PTSD symptoms. He's clearly having dreams. He can't sleep very well, and when he does sleep, he sees the shooting in yeah. slow motion, just pretty much exactly as it happens, which is a fairly standard PTSD mm-hmm. um, symptom. So he's not lying about that, but right. he's like, you know, I'm not. Yeah, no, I'm not thrilled that I've killed a kid, but here we are. Like, right. what do you want me to do about it? Um, and. Uh, then we see, then Eunice holds up his end of the bargain mm-hmm. and they go and talk to this kid who's like, I don't know, I don't know, I was in this place. They, uh, they put together, uh, there was a little slip in the windshield and they figure out it was a barbecue place, which I knew. I knew mm-hmm. instantly as soon as I saw Big D and the drawing of a pig, I'm like, that's a barbecue place. There's very little reason to have a pig otherwise. Yes. And, uh, Ralph tries to ask Glory if they what they were doing in Dayton. Yeah, Ralph visits Glory in yeah. in a surrounded by both the the her lawyer and uh, the investigator. So it's under very controlled circumstances. Well, yeah, is it after that he goes back and talks to her? Because he's mm-hmm. one of their instances. She goes out to smoke a cigarette, and he's there, yeah. and they have a. He does try to, and he's, he says something that's really frustrating but really true the first time, which is he's trying to appeal to Glory for help. Yes. And she's like, fuck you, you got my husband killed. Well, but not only that, the really obvious problem, which is there's still people who are going to hate my child. 
That's the thing. Yeah. What am I supposed to tell my kids? Um, Like, I can't find a job here. I can't. I'll be spit on. There's still people throwing shit on our front porch. Yes. Yeah. So this is my life now. And even if we move, it's going to follow us. Yeah. Because we can't, you can't hide anymore. No. The media doesn't let you. The media doesn't let you. The internet doesn't let you. So his argument, though, which is really. It's sound and it makes sense. Sound, but frustrating is the best way to take this off of your husband and your family is to help me find the person who still did it. Who right. did it. Somebody killed this child. Right. If it wasn't your husband, it was my husband. Okay, fine. Right. If it wasn't your husband, we need to find who and that's did the, it. The, what is pro, uh, bothering him is the fact that there's an equal amount of evidence that your husband yeah. did it and your husband didn't do it. Yeah, and, and the DA has the same right. issue. The DA has, a, after the shooting... Tells him I'm not going to run because right. this is a mess and this is yeah this is, but I 100% believe that Terry Maitland did this regardless of the evidence to the mm-hmm. contrary and I'm like well that's not ideal but Ralph can't get in that right and then he offers, he's like I both 100% believe that he did it and also 100% believe right. that he didn't which means I am at an impasse. Well, he this is where the title of the episode comes in. Because the DA right. offers Roanoke as an example. He's just like, sometimes shit's weird. I don't and know what to tell you. This is a weird shit thing. You go to explain it, yes, there seems to be an equal balance of evidence on both sides, which yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But sometimes something really bizarre happens and you can't do anything about it. You'll be scratching your head forever. Yeah. Like we did about the, the, the colony. Roanoke calling it just disappeared and nobody's told us what happens. Yeah. So. And uh, so, yeah, so mm-hmm. she finally agrees to talk to them, talk to him. And when he asks if she's been to the, we find out that they went to Dayton because um, Terry's father is, has dementia and is in a home there. Mm-hmm. And so Terry would go during the day by himself because he is uh, violent right. and uh, kind of a, not a great person Mm -hmm. so she was like the kids are not going to be exposed to that but i understand if you need to see your father or whatever and they would hang out at the pool of Mm -hmm. the the hotel pool or whatever and go to the mall and just do you know vacation things as much as you can in dayton ohio i don't know maybe it's a lovely city i don't know i've never been uh but and then and that's what they did and then terry would come home and they'd go out to eat or whatever and he asks have you ever been to this barbecue restaurant and she is like completely offended by that which i didn't really understand why like that was the thing that set her off Mm -hmm. i'm like well he's got a specific question he's not making something up yeah and she's like we've never get out we've never been there this is we're not we're not going anywhere Mm -hmm. like this is stupid and well, I don't want to answer any more questions. She's just suspicious of anything he's going to yeah, say. Yeah, that's true. Any, his because like, are you trying to hang us out to drive? That's the other a, thing is, right. it's the easiest thing in the world for them to just conclude that Terry did it because Terry is dead now right. and then they don't have to do this anymore. They don't have to think about this crime anymore. They can move on to whatever next heinous yeah. crime there is. And then we hear from the other room, the oldest daughter says, I remember that place. Mm-hmm. You know, I I remember being at, it was near this other place that we went to or whatever. It was the mall, I think. Yeah, and meanwhile, the the kid that they had gone to see said, "Oh, I I don't know that barbecue restaurant, but I do. I did go to another place in that strip mall, which I think is also what the what the kid what the Maitlands did. Right. So that is where they overlap, but we still don't know to what end." 
that is. Yeah. So the, the van is still a, a perplexing piece. And we find out that also the, the other thing that happened in Dayton was that Terry had gotten a cut on his wrist. Mm-hmm. His daughter says he got a cut. And I remember because he said that I guess they were wa- he was walking down a hallway and it was wet. And he and a nurse fell, and the nurse cut him on accident, we think. Right. Um, and she, that, that detail stuck with her because the nurse was a man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ralph is like, yeah, sometimes nurse, nurses are men. That's a thing. That's that piece. And then we, we see a farmer discovering Terry's old clothes, like the ones that he had changed into in the strip club. So mm-hmm. the belt buckle and it looked like a chambray right. button-down shirt. And um, then there's like this weird goo with those clothes. And then that's the end shot of this episode. So what did you think? I'm intrigued. I really, Ben Mendelsohn's so good. Let him be in all of the things. I never see, I didn't know, well, I don't know that that's entirely true. Let me see. Jason Bateman, what else have you directed? Because I feel like I've never seen anything he's directed, but it's possible that he stealth directs things. Do-do-do. So I'm looking at his filmography, but not the actor part, the director part. 12 credits. Oh, I guess he directed a bunch of Ozark, which is a show that I've never watched. Holy cow. He started directing on Valerie. Wow. Yeah, so, as a kid, basically. But I guess he'd been on set since he was, what, he like is, eight? He, well, I don't remember how far <laughs> back it goes. I know that he and his sister, um, Justine Bateman from Family Ties. Yes. Uh, they uh, they were, you know, an actor, kid actors. Yes. From a family, I guess. Uh, well, never mind. Let me rephrase that. Uh I only saw them appear together twice, I think. But, um, but yeah, so I guess they were used to this, you know, knew how to stand in the key light in the whole business. So I'm sure that at some point you'd become intrigued with handling it yourself. Oh my God, hold on. I need to... He's older than me. He was born in 1969, so he's your age. He's 50 mm-hmm. years old. 52. Um, 1969. He was, well... He may not be, oh, let me see when. January, yeah. So he's 52 years old now. Uh, His first, his first acting credit was 1981. He played James Cooper Ingalls. Oh. In Little House on the Prairie. All right. So. That's right. In 21 episodes. Um. And he was, you know, 10, 11, 12, yeah. right, in, right in there. And so he's been, and then, you know, Silver Spoons was 82 to 84. Mm-hmm. So he's been on sets his, his yeah. whole life. And so he was, you know, 19, 20, 21 when he's on Valerie. Right. And directing a sitcom at that point. Yeah. It makes sense that they would give him a shot to do that. So... I don't know if he doesn't have a lot of directing credits, but I would argue that he was a. I think he was a very effective director. Yeah, well, for there's this. a very sure hand here, and a person who certainly knew how to handle the material. Yeah, and also horror is not easy. 
And I wonder... And there's a, no, a, it's a, not. a really strong horror element here. And it's not like... I said it's a procedural, but it, there are horror elements to it that work really effectively. Little Girl's Nightmares. Yes. Where we're already um, understanding that it's going to play a much bigger part. All the scenes... With the Peterson family right. and their disintegration, which were done almost with no dialogue, right. um, but were clear enough, uh, I think were very skillfully done. And to direct that scene between him and Mendelssohn in yeah. the jail, um, I wonder if they got him by saying you can direct the one, because that's a tough sell too. Right. Hey, c- come in and be our possible child murderer. Also, you die in the second episode. Well, like that's a tough sell on an actor. Child murder. It's just whether or not it's the same character. He is playing a child murder, right. and so also he's, maybe he's, not a child right. murder. So what's happening, y'all? Yeah. It's a secret. We'll figure it out later. But it might have. It might be an outsider that's doing it. I don't know. I'm just looking at the title just and wondering what that's about. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, no, I thought he was very, very skilled in this, yeah. and and I uh, enjoyed the watch of it. So, are you? How are you feeling about you know, it? I'm intrigued. I, I uh, the first time that we saw it, I really, really liked it because it balanced drama with realism with just enough weirdness to where you're like, I don't know what's going on. I can't say for for sure. Um, and I, I think that's that that's. With this kind of horror, that's the best quality. There's some horror that goes into fantasy, something like The Stand, and this is something that instead that plays very close to the best. Right. For now, we don't know right. what's what's going to happen, but um, I also like. So there seems to be some sort of supernatural something happening. Mm-hmm. There's goop. There's maybe doppelganger of some right. sort. But it's written by Richard Price, who wrote The Wire. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's and and Night of, which is a just a straightforward crime procedural. Sometimes uh, I remember Oliver Stone, the director, mm-hmm. who's not really so familiar anymore to people. There was a time when he was the Rebel Outlaw director, um, but he tarnished his reputation a little. Uh, he talked about how in his early days he was trying to break into horror with films like The Hand and Seizure and. The hand, the Michael Caine, right. okay, and that he really felt that he'd ultimately failed. He thought it would be simple to ratchet up scares and use dark rooms, and and then just discovered that you either have a, a talent for it or you don't. Yeah, and then every once in a while you have someone like um, there was a. It's ninety percent pacing, and I don't think people understand that. No, they don't. <sighs> if you want to do it effectively, if you just want to gross people out, that's easy to do. Right. Um, there was a a. Uh, a starlet from the 50s, Ida Lupino, an English starlet who mm-hmm. began working in um, America, who, when she felt like she was tired of competing with the other young actresses of her generation as she moved on in age, began directing uh, B-movies and suspense thrillers, and and she's widely recognized as for pulling out of God knows what, being really good at scares. Yeah, she she did a, a great B movie. If you ever, um, it's on YouTube, I think you can find it, called The Hitchhiker, about um, two men on a fishing trip coming back from Mexico who let in a hitchhiker who turns out to be a psychotic killer, who then holds them captive for I think it's a couple of days and mm-hmm. drives them out into the desert, 
And that movie has a lot of suspense and a lot of creepiness and a lot of... And again, this is a woman who you're going, where is she pulling this material from? And you don't quite know, but she just has a knack for it. Right. She has a knack for shooting scenes at night in the dark, whispering voices out of the back of the car, like, mm-hmm. all of that. And she went on to direct some episodes for Boris Karloff's Thriller, which were very creepy. Mm-hmm. And again, just had the knack, had the, knew how to pace it, knew how to set up the scenes. Yeah. Um, it, and and it seems like he has this here. Ozark is... I watched an episode, I think it's a like a, more like a crime thriller, mm-hmm. I, I think is. So there's tension right. in that show, and he's done 10 episodes of that, so maybe that helps. Because you, you, that's what you what you want. You want tension. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not especially in these episodes, right. it's not about jump scares or anything like that. It's about, wait, what was that? Or, ooh, I'm uncomfortable. moments like the little girl... Uh, the youngest daughter, who's having these conversations with something. Yes, and keeps the oldest daughter keeps going, what's wrong with her? Which feels really like what two sisters would say about each other. Yeah. And the mom is just so busy with her own grief, she just keeps insisting to this daughter, you're having a nightmare. You're having a bad dream. Well, to be fair, it seems like she's, because she's just sitting up at the edge of her bed, staring into the corner. And it seems like she's just... And if she has a history of sleepwalking, we don't know. Right. We don't know this family very well. We're only getting to know well, them in their grief. It seems like a symptom of their grief, right? Yeah. And then and fear. But it's shot well enough to give you the notion that there might be something else. Right. And it's handled really well. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens going forward. Yeah. Me too. So... That's what we will do. Next week, we are going to watch the next two episodes. Dark Uncle. Ugh, what an upsetting phrase. And Que Viene El Coco. Que? Que Viene El Coco. Que Viene El Coco. What does that mean? Here comes the coco. Here comes. Yeah, well, it can be translated that way. Spanish is weird. A lot of times it's just context. Okay. So we will... <laughs> it's pretty funny because that sounds very oh, benign. Cherokee City, Georgia is yeah. the is the where we are, and Cap City, Georgia mm. is where Terry was at the conference. Right. Okay. Cap City sounds like um, something a from DC, a comic book. Yeah, yes. it sounds like a DC city. So that's I just find it very funny, uh, and I'm wondering if um, if well, the Terry Maitland name is part of the the Stephen King book. I'm guessing it is. Which might be a funny homage to, in itself, um, there was a rival to Hammer Studios Amicus uh, in England that was headed by, I think, two American producers from New York uh, that at one time were working with Hammer and then split off and made their own rival studios. Their writer, Milton Sabatsky, had a Maitland in nearly every movie he produced. There was just going to be a character named Maitland. And that's one of the in-jokes that was a, a part of their cycle of films, which who gets to play Maitland this time? Is it Peter Cushing? Is it Christopher Lee? Is it Jack Palance? Somebody's going to be a Maitland. So I will say there is no Cherokee City in Georgia. There's Cherokee City in Arkansas, and there's uh-huh. one in North Carolina, but there isn't a Cherokee City in Georgia. There's a Cherokee County in Georgia. Also, Cap City is typically what you... It, it's what they call the Atlanta. It's the capital, oh, okay. capital city. Um, so I don't know if they actually mean Atlanta mm-hmm. for Cap City, Georgia, or. Right. But um, 
we're in a faux city, which is fine. That's fine. We're typically in a faux city when it comes to uh, Stephen King anyways. So, next week, episodes three and four. No, and that's fine. It's okay. okay that there isn't. Also, Castle Rock, not real. There's a Castle Rock, California, I saw it. I know, that's true. Uh, the oh, In the meantime, before next week, do you have anything that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Um, I'm going to recommend something out of sheer cussedness. Okay. I saw a movie last week with you and our roommate, Army of the Dead. It's true. And it's a Zack Snyder film. It is. And I'm recommending it today simply because on online horror groups that I'm a part of, this movie is getting drubbed for no other reason than that there are horror snobs who don't like the fact. Is it Fast Zombies they don't like? It's Fast Zombies. Uh, somebody actually sat Which and not all of them are fast, by the way. Explained that zombies couldn't run quickly because with their desiccated muscles, it would break their ankle bones. Actually said that. And hey, guys. Hey, guys. Hey, right. guys. Hey, guys. Hey. There's no such thing as zombies, so well, we can make up our own rules. There are such a thing as zombies in some well, that's culture. Fine. Not There's this. no such thing as zombies in this right. form. This is a completely made-up thing. As a matter of fact, that's why George Romero never called them zombies. I was like, no, zombies an actual thing. Something else. Right. But, um, yeah, I've just read the most bizarre kind of complaints and reviews by angry horror fans about this film. And my point to them was, I don't really think of it as a horror film. I mean, certainly there's a lot of it horror stuff. It was gory. It was gory. very gory. But it was more... It's a heist film. Fun. It's a heist film. It's a heist and film. it's an adventure movie. Which, you mm. know I love a heist film. It's one of my favorite. I love right. to watch a plan come together, well, so... It's, it was a lot of fun, and the characters were a lot of fun. Just... I appreciated right. the fact that, and, and constantly, Tig doesn't look like she belongs in the movie. Well, no, because they found out that somebody who starred in the movie right. alongside them was a sex crim, and rather than just allowing for that to happen and, and traumatizing his victims more once he was, once the movie was released, mm -hmm. they cut every one of his scenes, and Tig Notaro filmed herself on green screen. Right. That's well, badass. I, I think that... <laughs> Having seen the movie now, it's very funny. And there's a lot of really neat Vegas stuff. The whole covers of Elvis all throughout the film. Yes, there was some fun and, covers. And it's a Zack a lot of Snyder movie. Cheese. Right. It's a Zack Snyder movie, so it looks amazing. And that's just... There's a zombie tiger. Come on. Right. And a zombie horse. And a zombie horse. So it, it's... You I know what it see... didn't have? Ears. Well... But um, it's just one of those things where I don't see how people could take this seriously. It's a fun movie. If you want to watch a fun zombie heist movie, right. this how, movie how is... How often can you say that? Like, not often I'm enough, I'm in the mood for a frankly. zombie heist movie. <laughs> well, this... I'm almost always in the mood for a zombie heist movie, right. but I, there aren't that many to choose from. So, yeah. no, I, I had a blast watching it. Was it, it was... you know, high cinema? No. Right. No. That's fine. I signed up to watch a zombie heist movie right. starring Dave Batista. Right. Let's do this thing. <laughs> right. and I like, don't know what I. Right. It, it's the 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 
Ebert, if you want to watch a movie right. about a flying turtle, this is the this movie is for the, you. The best flying turtle movie you can find. If and not, yeah. keep it moving. Nobody asked uh, you. Yeah, nobody just, said uh, you had to watch this movie. Bad. I, I keep in these weird arguments defending the film, where other people go on about you know how it offends the spirit of the zombie apocalypse movie, which. I, I what don't is that you. even? I don't. Know. That's a lot of preciousness about some shit that doesn't exist. Like what? I, mm, fans need to have uh, less, less of a say. Now this also goes to: Did Zack Snyder need to cut a four-hour cut of the Justice League? No, mm-hmm. and it sucks that fans allowed that to happen. On the other hand, I watched it and enjoyed it. So right. what about? It was a much better movie. But than once the again, did I yeah. have to? No, no. You could just not watch it. I could. I have right. the power. That, I have the power. It's just the idea that people somehow are giving up their choice and like, oh well, I guess now I have to see Godzilla versus Kong. No, you don't. No, you don't. And if don't you be mad about seeing if it. If the phrase Godzilla versus Kong does not does not spark joy. Don't sit down right. and watch it for an hour and a half. Right. Like, what do you... I don't understand what the anger is about. So, out of sheer cussedness, and the fact that it was an enjoyable movie... I, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to recommend it, because, yeah, I just like... I, I can't stand precious people and their theories. The ongoing the zombie, fast zombie, slow zombie, sick zombie, well zombie, dead zombie, illness zombie I think... stuff. I'm just like... They're all different. At some point, they're all a different few things. years ago, uh, Ben Mankiewicz talked about, I think it was one of the George Romero films he was introducing, and said, here's the influence that Night of the Living Dead had. As of right now, that date was a couple of years back, 40% of movies released involve zombies. Now, that's kind of died out since then. I think we hit a kind of a milestone at one point, and there really was nothing else to say. But everything as varied as Night of the Living Dead to Dawn of the Dead to Girl with All the Gifts to World War Z right. all fit under this huge umbrella, and they're all... Do they include 28 Days Later? I Some people do. Because that's the right. thing where I'm like, well, they're not dead, right. so do they count? Well, that's in a, this film, that's you don't know tr- that they're actual zombies, quote-unquote, either. No, the alphas, right. they may it still be alive. We have no idea where it came from. It could be from Mars. We don't know. Yeah, There are clearly zombies, the shamblers. Mm. Right. And then there are these other right. ones. These beings yeah. that sire them and that we don't know. Like We the, don't know. We don't know anything about them. Nope. So when they reminded are, me of passage vampires. Right. And it could very rather well be than something else. Rather than a zombie yeah. thing, right. But um, but yeah, but just if you're gonna see it, be aware not to have a meal before or perhaps even after. It's gory. It really there's a lot gory. of squishing and there's strong foley work. It's uh, yeah, a lot of squibs. Cantaloupes died for this film. Uh, but but yeah, if if this yes, is many a melon, right. many a melon, squish squish squish. If you're in the mood for it, this is actually. The, the most diverting kind of entertainment for a zombie heist film. Yeah, I enjoyed it. So, do you recommend anything? Hmm. I've really been watching anything. Yeah, I think that was what we all watched together. I don't know if you've seen anything on your own. I'm just making it through it. Master Yo, I'm on it. I'm on season 12. I'm so close to done. Uh. But no, I've been reading and drawing and watching a master and working. So mm. 
So no, I'll hop on. I'm. I'll hop on. Uh, hop on your back with that one. Okay, good. Because uh, I think the the week before we talked about the other movies that we've seen, and I don't think I've really. I feel like I've been working later and later, and we haven't been watching anything. Right, Our DVR actually... is super backed up. Yeah. First world we got problems. Through, we got through Zoe. We got through Snowpiercer, which is really good. Oh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist just uh, ended the second season, as did Snowpiercer. Right. Both of those very satisfying second seasons. Yeah. So if you haven't watched them or haven't watched the second seasons and you liked the first seasons, Snowpiercer both of them is are very good. Different. To me, very different. Very different. <laughs> into the territory that Loss used to occupy, where... You're really beginning to feel a connection with these characters and the way they change and how they can disappoint you and how they can get better. And that ending had so many characters that I liked just having to face an impasse or not making it. You're like, oh, no, 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 that's not what I wanted. But yeah, yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, and they are doing a season three mm-hmm. of Snowpiercer. Uh, there's no word on a season three. Three for Zoe's extraordinary playlist. Okay. Well, yeah, the so. way that it... Well, never mind. I won't we, it, it. It, either way. It ended it, to where it could be an yeah. ending for the series, which would be very funny if it was. Yeah. Or yes. it explore new directions yes. going forward. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of this week. Next week, we're going to watch episodes three and four of The mm-hmm. Outsider. Yeah. Get your HBO Max. Do it, do it, do it. Uh, until then, if you have questions, comments, concerns, or we are still looking for ideas for our next season <laughs> let us know what we should be watching uh, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or you could find us on twitter at latecomerspod or on facebook by looking for latecomerspodcast or latecomerspodcast fans mm-hmm. we have both pages Okay. get on both of them on both of them then you'll know when we release the show Thursdays guys we release the show on Thursdays but sometimes I forget to to post. Don't trust the guy with the melty face and the hoodie. Don't trust any... Well, don't... that. I take it back. That's good advice for a heist movie. I take it. The guy with the melted face and the hoodie? Don't yeah. trust him? Don't trust him. Don't trust anybody. Also, don't trust Jason Bateman, because he might be bad. Know. But he might be good, but he might be bad. At any time, he might be bad. Uh, until next time, I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you... Better, Better late than, than never. never.